Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 394 with Andrea Gigline. Andrea is talking about how to reduce the experience of stress at work with a few quick, simple techniques. You'll learn one, the key causes of workplace stress, two, some verbal habits that exacerbate workplace stress, and three, how to ask for help optimally. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F394. Now here's Andrea's story. Often called a success Sherpa, Andrea prides herself on carrying the information that nourishes her clients' careers and personal success. She's the creator of the trademarked Don't Die book series, which is licensed to the renowned publisher Hay House and served as chairperson of speaker selection for TEDx UNLV. Not only does Andrea Gigline have the scientific knowledge that helps business leaders thrive, she has owned and operated several successful companies herself, including Evening Star Holdings, a hospitality operating business with $4 million in revenue and over 60 employees. Andrea also founded the CEO Forum in Las Vegas, a senior executive think tank and boutique consulting practice. So thanks to Andrea for taking the time to chat with us. And thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Andrea. Andrea, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here today. Well, I want to hear the story, first of all, about how you were working at a Wall Street brokerage when you were 14 years old. How did that happen and what was it like for you? Well, how it happened was friend of my, one of my brothers called to offer him a few-day job during an Easter break. My brother wasn't available And I said, I can come in. And he said, well, just don't tell them that you're 14. Tell them that you're 18. So I did. And at the end of the few days, everybody else was let go. But they asked me if I was interested in staying and working the rest of the break and then offered me a summer job, to which I said, yes, except I had to tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, if I could get working papers, they would allow me to do the job because it was filing for a brokerage firm. And I went and got working papers, which hang in my office today. I am as proud of that piece of paper as I am any master's degrees or PhD that I have. Well, I I wasn't aware of the (laughs) process associated with a 14-year-old acquiring working papers. How does that happen? So I was born and raised in Queens, New York at the time. Now, remember, this is 1970. As you went to, in order to get a social security card, 
they would give you a social security card, but if, for you to actually be employable, you could only work in certain categories. So you couldn't work with dangerous machinery and things of that nature. And filing punch cards at a brokerage firm wasn't in the category of dangerous jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got to do it. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, yep. Well, and you've been working hard ever since. <laughs> uh, and liking it. Everyone has their thing that becomes the thing that allows them to propel forward and to overcome various life adversities. For me, it has always been being involved in business or working for a company, working with people that it has always been my joy. Beautiful. Well, so I also want to talk about some things that, that may not be as, as joyful, and that is that the stress that shows up at work. So you've done uh, quite a bit of research and writing on this, this subject. And, and so I'd love to get your take when it comes to, to stress. First of all, what are sort of like the, the top causes, the top culprits to pinpoint that make stress appear? Well, if you ask those in workplaces, they will always give you a name of someone. <laughs> What's causing stress? There's always a name associated with it. But generally what it is, is a combination of the expectations we put on ourselves, what we think about those expectations, and then how we respond to the people that we are working for and with in our organizations. You put that whole little pile together and add commutes and family responsibilities and community responsibilities. And if you're the owner of the business, the financial burden, whether or not you will have a successful business, but the fact that all of these people who are feeling stress are actually your responsibility to make sure their lives and their financial lives are in order. So there's a combination, but it really has to do with how we think and how we speak about the situation that really starts the ball of stress rolling. Mm-hmm. So could you give some examples of ways we think of and speak of stress that, that make it proliferate versus keep it out of control? Sure. I call certain things talking in overwhelm. Uh, there's a terminology that I stay away from known as crazy busy. You'll meet someone <laughs> and they are so proud of how crazy busy they are. Uh, not the best way to identify how you're spending your days. Why can't you be happy busy? Why can't you associate the fact that you are actually progressing and have lots of involvement to do with a word that is positive versus something that may be not so, that you may be seeing as a negative, that I'm crazy. Like, if you speak overwhelm, you will be overwhelmed. So one of the very quick things to catch about the people around you is how They like to dramatize how many hours they're working. Uh, There was a time in my career where I worked for telecom companies, and they were actually proud of the fact that they had maxed out their 100 message voicemail systems. I would go into meetings, and people would be announcing the fact that, like, someone would say to someone, oh, you know, I went to leave you a voice message, and your voice box was full. And then they would proceed to be really proud of how full that voice message was. Another you just time, never clear it and you'll, you'll fill it up. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. And, but it is also, it speaks to the culture of the organization and all of these little things that seem totally unrelated build a culture of mental stress because stress actually doesn't exist until we put a name to it. It's a response 
it doesn't exist until we create it and we create it with how we speak. So when you think about all the different ways that an organization and people within the organization do it, it starts with trying to stand out in a construction firm I was once associated with. People were proud of, there was like, I, I used to call it a game, that who made the coffee? They would start saying, well, I was here at 4.30 or I was here at 5 o'clock. And then I would have to put the damp towel and say, did you achieve the goals? Did you meet the customer's needs? Was the project brought in on time? That's what you're actually supposed to be measuring. Mm -hmm. Not who makes the coffee first. Right. And, and so that, that's an intriguing view then. So you're saying that stress is not sort of an intrinsic reality. It's like Correct. I've got a lot of expectations and responsibilities and I, and I don't know if I have the resources to accomplish them. You're saying that that's not what produces stress, but it's how we respond to that state of affairs. I would clarify that a bit. Those things exist. The things that we mentally speak about as causing us stress do exist. We are asked to do a lot more with a lot less. When you go into an organization, when you are creating a company, it happens across the board. I just heard Elon Musk talk about how when the company within the last year was at a point when no one believed they could make the production of their lower end Tesla, their engineers thought of creating a tent-like system and set up a production line under this huge tent. During that period of time, when the environment has turned against you and you still have a problem to solve, it is real. You are losing sleep. And how you respond to that either allows you to be highly creative or crash and burn. Mm -hmm. So one piece is language that you're not crazy busy, you're happy busy, you're thrilled busy, excited yes. busy. Uh, so how else do you, do you think and speak about it in a way that will put you in a better place? Okay. One of the things, when things aren't going well, taking the drama out of whatever trauma has occurred within the company. A company that I admire, their product was Chipotle, a fast food restaurant that I have observed. And I've only been an observer of this company in the media for the last few years because I feel that as a corporation, external things have happened to them. I don't know what the impact of romaine lettuce was on their production, but I know they used romaine lettuce. And that was after a whole series. Well, when they come together in that organization, if the conversation is about how everything and everyone is against them. Now, I don't know that to be true, but let's just play it out. They're actually not going to get to solve the problem. They have to take the drama of what has occurred out of the conversation so that when they go in the meetings, the frontal lobe kicks in and they can make the clearest conversations. And that becomes very critical. So language keeps touching and correcting, pivoting how you make decisions. And how does one take the drama out? It's a pausing. It's that taking the breath and catching, hearing what you're saying. It really is amazing how many times we will dramatize a situation in order to get attention without even knowing it. How many times have you sat in a meeting and someone arrives late and instead of quietly sitting down and joining the meeting and contributing at the appropriate moment, the next amount of X minutes is why they're late. It's a discipline to manage that for yourself. And all the things I speak about 
are disciplines that as an individual, if you contribute them to your workplace, you will not only be reducing stress for yourself, but also for those around you. Because if you are not the person who over-dramatizes, if you are not the person who comes into the meeting and then has to have all the attention put on you, which when you think about it, do I really want to reinforce with everyone and cement in everyone's mind that I was late? Or do I want to quietly sit down and contribute when it is productive? Very good. Okay. So these are the things that we, I work very much at the individual level. That is the greatest point of control. When everything is out of control in your workplace, the one thing you can still control is how you speak and how you think. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, so then, so we're controlling how you think and how you speak. And you also have some perspective on asking for help and conquering the fear and resistance associated with doing that. Uh, When is the best time to ask and how should you do it? I'm going to put that actually ahead of the other two things. I want to put that in intentional relationship building because I work in the area of positive psychology where everything is about PERMA and how do you flourish? How do you actually go from place to place wherever you go and actually be able to flourish no matter what is going on in the external? And one of the components is relationship building. Well, relationship building should actually start long before you need the help on that project that they've crashed and burned on you. And that happens by you paying attention to the people around you. See who actually has a more emotionally mature way of explaining situations. Befriend people who you admire what they contribute to the organization. Enter into the conversations before you need the help, and it is amazing what will happen when you do need that. And and how do you recommend going about doing that befriending in a great way? Okay, so one of the things in the workplace is always to offer help before it's needed. When you hear someone explaining a situation of something they're working on, and if you truly believe you can be a contributor, offer that. Do something that allows the person to know that there is a resource if they want it, because that allows you to stay at the front of their mind. And I'm talking whether this is a peer, whether this is a superior, you want to be the person who, in fact, observes what others is happening and then be able to offer if it's appropriate. And I stress that a lot. Make sure you are not, this is the difference between, what's the, I know what the slang term is, but you don't want to kiss someone's butt. Mm -hmm. This is not what I'm teaching. (laughs) I I knew what the slang term for that was, but I, I I needed the podcast version of that. You don't want to be seen as the person that's kind of kissing up. What you do want to be seen as a person who is a resource and a level-headed resource so that as in these rapidly changing environments that we all live in across all organizational structures that we participate in, that in fact, you can be a contributor and someone to come to. Sometimes there's just that calm sea. Like someone may just want to come because they know you will not overreact if they tell you what they're facing. Gotcha. That is a resource. Yes. Okay. Well, so then you've, you've built up some good relationships. You've proactively offered help. There's some reciprocity working for you. And, and so then uh, when it comes to making the actual request, how do you recommend we go about doing that? Okay. Again, 
watch your words. People don't like to help victims, especially in the workplace. If you need help, if you realize that doing it alone or you've really done it alone and realize you're not getting the best result, be really clear when you approach someone. Actually use the words, I need some assistance or I need your knowledge. Are you willing to work with me on this? Actually acknowledge that the person has something that in fact could be helpful and you're making a request. Human beings like to help other human beings, contrary to a lot of, you know, as long as you stay off Twitter, you'll believe that's true. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, there's only certain things I can control. (laughs) And that's one of them. Use language that shows that you are not a victim, but attempting to really be a victor and you'd like to take others with you. Also make sure that others know that if it's appropriate, they will be acknowledged. Acknowledging others is a way of be showing your appreciation, but you have to do it very specifically. When I got stuck on this project, I went to them and just having this conversation helped me to think clearer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you acknowledge their, their particular you know, expertise or knowledge or, or, or value or perspective that that's valuable. Yep. And then yep. you, you say the words, you know, that I need the help. What else? Well, it depends on the situation. I want to take the opposite side, how not to ask, because that's actually something that as humans, we fall into, especially if we're upset the same way we're crazy busy. If you were in a meeting and someone inappropriately, and I will say inappropriately decided to call you out on how bad the report you did was, And you leave that meeting and the first thing you do is find people to complain about how bad a manager that human being is. You have to remember that if you're talking to that person about the other one, they're going to know that someday you may talk about them that way too. So you want to take responsibility as quickly as possible. People look for that very quickly. It is the thing that people unknowingly are are you talking about someone else or are you taking responsibility? And if you leave a meeting and say, and be very honest, you know, gosh, I did not think that that was that bad. I wish she had not responded that way, but I hear clearly that I didn't give her what she wanted. Can you help me think through this better? That allows the person to really step up and not get into a conversation. If you come at them and say, can you believe what that woman did? No manager should be allowed to speak to anyone that way. The whole conversation will be about her behavior, the executive's behavior. And what you really need in that moment is a better report and a better outcome. So I would put, again, that ahead, checking how you, what happens when something goes wrong and how you speak about it, because that adds to your stress. In the moment, you have to actually build your own courage back up. And, you know, that's the whole thing about this asking for help and the stress. It has a lot to do with feeling incredibly vulnerable. Our jobs also dictate whether or not we eat most of the time. It dictates whether or not we have homes and our children get educated. It's just not a job. It's just not a report. So there is a lot behind how all that goes down and why it feels stressful. 
So cleaning up your language and being very careful if you have bad habits today, how to clean them up will help you move forward in an easier way. I can't stop how fast everything's changing. I can't stop organizations doing really well or really poorly and are causing stress. I just can't do it. I can help you guide your language. Yeah, that's really interesting when you, you mentioned that, you know, the job is, is more than just the job. It's sort of like the, the livelihood. There's kind of high stakes there, which can naturally, you know, give rise to some stress. And, and so that makes me wonder uh, in terms of just like the stress alleviating impact of just having a real clear set of, you know, what are your options? You know, like if the worst case scenario goes down, like they, they can you, you are fired that, you know, you're going to be just fine. Yes. You know, Pete, anytime I work with someone literally within the first meeting, we have a conversation of what I call the low watermark. I ask them, and it's very interesting as a, as a business coach, that this is one of the first things I do. I need to know what your financial situation is. One, to know whether or not you're aware of it. And two, to make sure that as we talk about options, if you want to tell me how bad the organization is and that you're putting up with all this horrible conduct, there's reasons why you're doing it. Some of them may be behavioral. Some of them may be financial. And we need to know that fast. Mm -hmm. So that is one of the things that I ask, and no one has to give me absolute numbers. I can deal in percentages. Do you know what your monthly nut is? And how close to that do you get in income? How much are you over? How much are you over? And we speak in percentages. Once we have built trust, we speak in absolute numbers. But I need you to focus on that so you can't use it as an excuse as to why you're staying in a place that is actually not one that you're able to rebound from because that's a stressful situation is only stressful through my eyes. It may not be stressful through your eyes. And that's interesting with regard to, to the numbers. And, and I guess with that still, I think some people feel a sense of stress, even if they say, Hey, I got 10 years of, of assets, 10 mm -hmm. years of living expenses, you know, stashed away in assets, no problem. And, and they're still worried about, you know, the impact of losing a job. There's a lot of different pieces of permit. And one of them is achievement. We have different things that, that drive us at different times. There's combinations of them. So achievement, sometimes you're so devoted to why you joined the organization and the project you were involved in, that you don't want to walk away from it until you see it to a completion because you have certain attributes, whether they be behavioral or through uh, character strengths, that in fact go against you walking away. There's actually more stress if you walk away because of the lack of completeness. And that's all the kinds of things you find out at an individual level. When we talk globally, the things that cause stress within organizations, I would say language, language, language. How you speak about the place you are and the people you are with, start your day and end your day. You better make a good decision. Well, tell me, Andrea, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things? Okay. So I would say that's the most important thing. Wake up and know. That, in fact, from the first thought you have, a words are coming out of your mouth, put a check on them. And if they are not positive, begin the recrafting process as you're brushing your teeth. It will matter and it will change your day. Beautiful. 
Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of my most favorite quotes has, I just, in fact, it was so funny that I looked at it because I like to, being trained academically, one of the things that I, I was always required to do was no, attribute. You know, you must attribute very clearly where a work comes from. So I'm going to tell you the quote and tell you where it was attributed know that there's many. So the quote is this, watch your thoughts for they become your words. Watch your words for they become your actions. Watch your actions for they become your habits. Watch your habits for they become your character and watch your character for it becomes your destiny. What we think we become. Now that version I just read was attributed to Margaret Thatcher. In fact, it has been attributed to so many different people. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study? Oh, the marshmallow study. It's the one about self-control because one, I believed I would have failed it if I was one of the children. And two, delaying gratification is so important to success. Absolutely. And how about a favorite book? So many, but the one that I use the most is return to love. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Ha! It's three in one. Reading, writing, and reflection. Every day and every way, that's, if you start that way, everything in your life will be different. And are there particular questions you ask with the reflection? It changes, but one of the things, one of the fun ones is, if today was to be extraordinary, what would happen? Oh, it is fun. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit? Uh, again, <laughs> I'm a little anal. Of the reading, writing, and reflection, Daily writing is my favorite. And is, do you write at a particular time of day? Yes, I write every morning. Well, I write for my work. So there's that portion of it. But I write every morning and I use one of the main things of positive psychology, which is gratitudes. So I start each day listing five things from the day before that I was grateful for. And some of them can be negative, such as I am grateful that I lost that client, it helped me to look at what I need to improve in my work. But I find that using that helps put those things on paper and you put it away. It's one of the reasons why we tell people to write down goals and aspirations, because it stops the mind from wandering, looping back to them. And I use that within the gratitude process because gratitude is the one human strength that we teach that if you do not have it, you should learn it because it builds on your resilience to keep moving forward. So things like stress are easier to handle. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? <laughs> if you believed and truly lived that you had a choice of every thought that you had, your life would be the best it could ever be. And if folks want to learn more and get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to my website at servingsuccess.com. And that's S-C-R-V-I-N-G, S-U-C-C-E-S-S.com. And there is a whole list of videos. And there is actually the reading, writing, reflection videos are there under the free courses. And I would love to have that be a gift to all of your listeners. Oh, thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Ah, first thing tomorrow, when you walk into work, 
make eye contact with someone, smile, and say, today is going to be a great day. All right. Well, Andrea, thanks so much for for sharing the goods and, and good luck in all your adventures. Thank you so much, Pete. I appreciated the opportunity. I got a real big kick out of how Andrea was describing how we can add drama and stress to situations unknowingly, even reflexively, just by talking about things the way we tend to talk about them. And I wondered if anyone was listening to this episode and thinking, yeah, but the drama is kind of fun. I sort of enjoy the drama, which reminds me of is a Kelly Kapoor on The Office who loved the drama and other people not at all loving the drama. So to you, I might just recommend, you might just decide to share the dramatized version of the tale. When you get home with your, your friend, spouse, partner, loved one, and just have a whole lot of fun with it in a low stakes environment where you don't need to be thinking brilliant new creative thoughts or interacting professionally and, and warmly in a rapport building manner with your colleagues. You can have your cake and eat it too by, by using some of these calming techniques that Andrea shared in the heat of battle. And then just, you know, spice up the story, have some fun with it, you know, take some creative license and be honest, I suppose. Don't, don't lie or exaggerate when it's uh, misleading, of course, but that way you can, you can have it all. You can have your drama if you're into that sort of thing for the fun and also the brilliance in the moment when you need that. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to as we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F394. If you haven't already, hope you'll push subscribe. You hear from our next guest who also has the initials AG. It is Andrew Giant. He is the founder CEO of Wiseant, which is an online tutoring platform. He's talking about how to learn skills well and rapidly, best practices. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.